This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Champs to another installment of the Keeping Carlson Short Shifts podcast. I am your host, Ben Burnett. Joining me, as always, Lewis Ezekiel. And the E is for extremely difficult to project goaltenders. That initial comes from our Twitter friend and patron, Michael Jonathan. Hi, jo- hi Michael. Lewis, welcome to the show. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing all right. I am uh, enjoying my cupful buy round, as I'm sure you are as well. Nice to uh, have a little bit of time off from the stress of the day in and day out and not be uh, fighting for your life in a single elimination. How are you feeling? Yeah, I mean, I I love to flex, but I also feel like that was a long subtweet of Elon, who is definitely fighting for his life in tier one of the cupful right now. Uh, very exciting first week of playoff matchups in the in the uh, top couple of tiers of the cupful. You and I are watching from above and feeling wonderful about it. I have to say, yeah, and we're very much rooting for Elon's team. So good luck, Elon. Go go, Sidney Crosby. All that stuff. Yeah, I will say, though, in general, I am tilting out of my mind. I'm in the playoffs in my other major league, and uh, yeah, my my opponent has Jordan Bennington, and he just beat my Rangers with only one goal against him. I'm trying not to tilt is where I'm at. All right, well, hang in there. You're going to be all right. You've got a very well-constructed team. You know, we've been working at it hard all year long, right? That's true, Lewis. It's all uh, it's all about process. I just need to get those results at the right time now. Let's get into our show, though. No more talking about my team. Let's talk instead about the restorative powers of Kyler Yamamoto and Victor Olofsson, two players who looked like they were about to go down for multi-week injuries, and out of nowhere, they popped back up on their team's roster. Olofsson back on the top line with Eichel and Reinhardt today, and Yamamoto back with Dreisaitl and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. So, Lewis, let's start with Olafson because we're going to talk about Yamamoto a little bit later. There had been a little bit of a stir. I was really excited to hear about Skinner being on top line, having held him through a lot of the uh, the downturn in his performance this year. And then I obviously dropped him a couple months ago, maybe. Um, was excited to see him on line one after Olafson went out. And then, just like that, all for nothing. I'm, a, I'm another sad former Jeff Skinner owner. Uh, I'm a sad current Jeff Skinner owner. I spent a third of my remaining uh, free agent auction budget to uh, pick him up, and it seems like it's not going to pay off the way I sort of hoped it would. So uh, at least I've got some recovery time there. You know, it seemed really great for him. He had uh, eight shots uh, in one of his most recent games. He seemed to be coming back to being the the guy that the Sabres had signed to that long-term contract. 
but it does seem like he's going to be relegated back to that second line position uh, for the foreseeable future, which is unfortunate uh, for obviously his owners, but uh, for him as well, at least he'll still get to take home the same pay regardless of what line he ends up on. I'll be honest, I read an article about Jeff Skinner today talking about how a lot of the problems that he's having this year have to do with line-made quality. A really good article by Travis Yost, if you want to check it out, on uh, on Twitter. I believe it was for a Buffalo paper somewhere. And he was just talking about how last year, of course, Jeff Skinner had some luck on his way to 40 goals. But he's also playing with Jack Eichel and Sam Reinhardt pretty much the whole year. Have a, swapping those two out for Marcus Johansson and, you know, the the middle six of the Buffalo Sabres, of course you're going to run into a few problems there. Yep. It's just unfortunate for him. But anyway, time to move on from him. I think if you scramble to pick him up, there are other interesting options out there, many of whom we'll be talking about on this very show. Yeah, and let's get into a few other players here. I'm going to jump into a couple of rookie defensemen who usually when they're being discussed on Hockey Podcast, it's about who's going to win the Calder Trophy. On this hockey podcast, we're going to be talking about the fact that both of them are injured at the wrong time. Kale McCarr will start in Colorado. McCarr with the wonderful streamagami, back-to-back streamagami schedule to start the playoffs week one and week two. And he missed game one on Monday with a lower body. Am I making that up? He's got a, he's got a day-to-day injury. That's, that's what we know for sure. Um, he's still day-to-day at this point. I don't know that there's a ton to talk about, but definitely worth adding Sam Girard if he's available, right? Yeah, Sam Girard was already heating up a little bit before then. I had grabbed him just because he had that Friday-Saturday uh, schedule last week, so I could get him for a couple games in there. And he picked up, I believe, an assist in each of those. You know, he's been a guy who's really run hot and cold, but certainly having the opportunity to get some run on that top power play should help him extend this hot streak, although I think I would be ready to move on from him pretty quickly once Makar makes his return. Uh, obviously, we don't know when that is, although from the sound of it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be too, too long, but, you know, we're in playoffs time. Every game counts here. So, um, yeah, for now, I think Sam Gerrard is an obvious ad. And that's just it, Lewis. Like, this is the time of year where I don't care if an injury is one game or five games. Like, there's a big difference in having a player like Kale McCarr in the lineup because it creates opportunity for guys that you can get for free into your roster. So that's why we're looking at this one. It may not prove to be a long-term injury, but he's definitely worth adding. If he if he's still on your waiver wire and we get news tomorrow that McCarr is missing another game, I think that Gerard is one of the best options that you could stream if you're looking for points, of course. He's not going to provide much in the banger categories. Let's push over even further west to British Columbia, where Quinn Hughes is also day-to-day mispracticed today. The Canucks didn't play on Monday, so he has not missed a game yet this week. They do have an excellent Wednesday, Friday, Sunday schedule to end this week. So if Quinn Hughes were to miss time, if you were looking for someone to add, I feel like Vancouver might be a nice place to look, especially for back-end stats. Does anyone stand out to you if Hughes misses a game or two here, Lewis? You know, I think the person that seems the most interesting, obviously, that jumps out is Alex Edler. He's been okay this season in terms of still providing those peripherals, but the points have really fallen off as Hughes has started to command a larger and larger share of the good offensive minutes. 
Um, but unlike Sam Gerrard, he's got, he's, you know, he's someone who's going to provide you with a decent floor with hits and blocks and some shots in there too. So, um, if I was making the choice between grabbing Gerrard and Edler, I feel like Edler is the safer choice in a way because he is going to provide you probably with a stronger, uh, baseline. And especially if you're in a multi-cat league where you're trying to steal several categories, um, I think that he definitely is more appealing, uh, Edler that is, uh, compared to Gerrard just because of his strong category coverage. I think an interesting name there, and definitely Alex Edler, if he's available in your league, is worth a stream without Quinn Hughes in the lineup. But Tyler Myers, who also is feeling a little banged up and missed practice today, he's also day-to-day on Yahoo right now. But that's a guy who I'd be very interested in. He's seen a lot of power play two-time for the Canucks this year, and he does a lot in the banger categories from penalty minutes to hits and blocks. So I think both of those are interesting streams. I think Myers has a little bit more uh, intrigue, should Hughes play just because Myers has been fantasy relevant even with a healthy lineup in Vancouver. I think the the main thing though here is you need to be tuned into Twitter. Follow us at AVG Time on Ice. Follow Keepin Carlson at Keepin Carlson. This is a great time to be on top of things because if you are the first person to know about injuries in your league, then you can be the first one to grab the guy who could be a difference maker in your league. And of course, Elon will be working on updating those game day lines, tweets as well. So that can be a really good spot to look. I think, yeah, uh, either of those guys, Myers or Edler, I think gives you that strong category coverage. But yeah, you're right. There's a risk because it's not really clear who will emerge or even how long Quinn Hughes may be out for. So really being tuned in during this time of year, as you say, is really critical because you have limited moves. You don't want to waste them. You want to make sure you are laser focused on stealing every category that you can on stealing every point that you can so that you can win a championship. That's what we're all about, right? You only get one shot every year. And going from potential injuries, we are going to hop to potential outjuries Absolutely. Let's hear about him. We'll start first with a Finnish sniper in Winnipeg. Patrick Laine back after missing a couple games last week. Right away, he starts playing with Nikolai Ehlers and Cody Eakin. You love to see Ehlers and Laine play together, but for most of the season, they've they've been with one of Shifley or Wheeler to get Cody Eakin on line two. You know, I'm starting to kind of question the value of having one of these guys. Does it downgrade your expectations if they don't get back with one of those higher-end centers to play with? Yeah, I think it's been a little frustrating. You know, I've been an Ehlers owner all season, and he's been quite, you know, uh, very effective for the most part. But it has definitely seemed to slow down lately. He really could could benefit from a stronger pivot. It's been a bummer to see. I know Elon and Brian talked about the fact that Winnipeg has had Paul Statsny pass through, has had um, Kevin Hayes pass through, and weren't able to get either guy to stick around, either because they weren't willing to fork over the kind of cash that was required, or else uh, the guys just, you know, weren't interested in that rental time or served out their rental time and didn't really want to stick around well who wants to live to who wants to move to winnipeg you know (laughs) well yeah we all know uh i always think of the classic Ilya brizgalov's concerns about spending your life out there in winnipeg Uh, i have visited before and you know i think it's more about the people that you're there with than than maybe the place where you're at sometimes uh in any case uh, it is kind of a bummer, yeah, I think, to see see these two out there without any, you know, all credit to Cody Eakin. He can be a pretty effective uh, defensive player and, and has had some limited spurts of uh, fantasy relevance. But he is not certainly a Kevin Hayes or a Paul Stastny. 
Uh, so he's not even really there in kind of the, the middle range of the type of fantasy centers you would hope to have. So not super deep down the middle, certainly limiting their ceiling, but hopefully the two of them working together, maybe they can still manage to, to make a little bit of magic now that it's not just Ehlers toiling away with uh, Mason Appleton, I believe, was the other wing there. So certainly an upgrade for him to get Patrick Line. Noted Winnipeg lover, Louis Ezekiel. Who would have thought? You know, I, I, I have sympathy for places that get a bad rap, you know, being from originally from Southeast Michigan. I feel like, uh, you know, I'm familiar with some places that, that you know, take it on the chin when they're, they actually have a lot to offer. My experience with being from a small town is to just get thick skin and say everywhere else is worse and just refuse <laughs> to give in. Just my town is good. Your town is bad. That's that's as far as I go. I'm working through some things in therapy. Let's hop over to Toronto. Morgan Riley. It was said by Sheldon Keefe today that he could rejoin the team next week. Morgan Riley, of course, spent half of the season on power play two after Tyson Berry kind of unceremoniously jumped hit the line and uh, and hopped up onto the top power play. Are we uh, feeling good about Morgan Riley? Is he a must-own if he's not on power play one? And does he have a chance of making it back up there? So I do think Morgan Riley is really appealing at this point in the year. Uh, like we said before, you're looking for any opportunity that you have to really squeeze some points out of a position. And I imagine that there are a lot of folks out there, especially with the injuries that have been going around, who have somebody on their lineup, uh, on their defensive core, who Riley would, would represent an upgrade over, even in that power play two position. And I think that, you know, the Leafs are going to try anything that they need to try in order to secure their playoff position. Uh, it is by no means set in stone at this time, uh, and they are obviously fighting in a fairly competitive, uh, you know, situation here. So I would, I would guess that, you know, if things are not working very well, I mean, we, we're going to talk about this shortly, but we've seen what can happen even in a place like Tampa Bay to a person as established as Victor Hedman, uh, getting switched out for Sergachev. You know, I think we, we are in the time of year where anything really can happen. Um, in terms of making changes in order to find a greater degree of success. So I definitely could see Riley potentially crawling his way back onto that first power play if it is struggling with uh, Barry up there. So you would you would go out and get Morgan Riley if he was dropped after his uh, initial timetable, his initial timeline was announced? Yeah, I mean, obviously, as it always does, it depends on your league and it depends on what kind of player that you're having to drop and, and all of that. But I have to imagine that there are teams out there in any league who have a defender who is worth jettisoning in order to get themselves a Morgan Riley and a potential shot at that power play one time in Toronto. I agree with you. It's possible that he gets back up there, but it's definitely not a sure thing by any means. It's, again, one of those things that you want to be keeping your eye on as time goes on. Let's talk about a couple goaltenders here. I want to talk first about Robin Lehner. He gets the start tonight for Vegas one week after the trade. He's already starting to steal starts. This is not a back-to-back situation. Lehner played really well in his night's debut over the weekend, and now he gets a start against New Jersey. That's a nice, cushy start. If Lehner does play well, does he venture into must-add territory for you? So, yeah, I think he really starts to become appealing. You've got another team here who is desperate for every point that they can acquire. Uh, obviously, they they fired their coach, uh, you know, in order to try to, to put a spark in the team and secure that playoff position, even though a lot of folks around the league are thinking, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest idea. Um, so they're obviously willing to, to try some things and shake some things up. I mentioned on a show, uh, maybe a week ago that, um, you know, there's no real, uh, 
relationship now between the coach and the goalie obviously flurry is well loved in vegas for what he's done for the team in his first couple years there and sort of being the face of the franchise but you know he the coach has a mandate now to win uh and if robin laner is giving them that best opportunity and you know you talked about leonard's success you got to also put that in the context of a pretty poor outing from mark andre flurry uh, in between these laner starts. So I think that he is starting to become really appealing. It's definitely somebody that I've got an eye on uh, to potentially grab um, so that I can squeeze some starts out of him once I am back in the thick of things. Now, I'm not sure how many leagues where you would find Robin Lehner on the waiver wire, but a goaltender who did become a little bit more, well, a lot more interesting, I'd say today, given some injury news, is Anton Kudobin. And I know that Kudobin is starting to be owned in some deeper leagues. He's been stealing a couple starts here. It's been pretty much a 50-50 split in Dallas. But we saw Ben Bishop miss tonight's game. He's dealing with a lower body situation, which is an interesting way of reframing the Pat Quinn uh, lower body injury type designation. If Anton Kadobin gets a string of starts here and he's on your waiver wire, then he could be a league winner. You have like the, that's just no question to me, given the style that Dallas plays and how solid he's been in their net. Yeah, absolutely. Dallas has kind of been playing. Uh... You know, you almost want to say like playoff style hockey for, for a few months now where kind of they are content to try to win games one nothing or two to one. And sometimes that blows up in their faces when they make some bad choices and, and get scored on a few times and they have to try and play catch up and they can't really reach that speed. But it has been a pretty um, nice setup for goalies. You know, even Ben Bishop, when he hasn't been especially successful, has still been pulling in fantasy points. So if you get credit for... um uh, you know, you're not worried as much about rates, but you're getting credit for wins and, and saves and that sort of thing. Uh, Kudobin has been actually outperforming um, sort of in the same way as Leonard. He's been outperforming Bishop lately. Um, and this, you know, whatever this lower body situation may be, it, it sounds like it may be short term, but it's really hard to say with goalies. You know, we, we've seen Carey Price lower body situations extend months at a time. Uh, but even if Bishop is able to come back relatively quickly, this may give Kudobin the opportunity needed to turn his late superior play over Bishop into a 1A position for him. Uh, and if you can get him in for some of these low scoring, close checking games, especially at home, Kudobin has been so outstanding at home. Uh, that presents a really good opportunity. And like you said, a potential league winner. So I do think that the distinction I would make as far as situations that I think are fluid goaltender wise and situations that are less so I think of the you know Robin Lehner moving to Vegas as a situation where it's like anything can happen right like we don't know because he hasn't been there long enough you know in Calgary we've seen Cam Talbot steal a few starts and then the team wants to go right back to Dave Riddick I think what we're seeing here in Dallas if Ben Bishop does come back and the injury isn't serious I think of it more as like a Tuka Rask, Yarrow Halak situation where even if there are, you know, bits and pieces of the season where the backup plays a little bit better, like I don't think that the Bishop Kudobin splits are like a bad goalie versus a good goalie. We're talking about two players who have been pretty good and the stars definitely look at one of them as their starter. And unfortunately for Kudobin, if Bishop is healthy, I don't think that he's outplaying him to the degree that we're, that you should expect him to become an outright starter. I just don't think that's in the cards in Dallas, but if he's injured, I think he could be a workhorse. So that's definitely what we're looking for right now. We're waiting to see if Ben Bishop misses a few more games. And if so, 
Anton Kudobin jumps to the top of the possible goalie options on your waiver wire. Yeah, I think that's a good point. So I'm glad you brought it up, and it's certainly a valuable way of thinking about it. Uh, you might also consider that if Dallas wants to save Bishop's health for a playoff run, you know, we're only worried here about the regular season in fantasy hockey, and even then, usually not all the way through the end of the year. So if we do see, you know, Kudobin maybe get some opportunities to spell uh, a even a you know quote unquote healthy bishop, um, just to make sure that he's not reaggravating anything and is fully bounced back for a playoff run. Uh, I do see that as a potential possibility. So maybe not an official starter position, but maybe yeah, like you said, sort of a a Halak um, Rask situation where they both are are kind of balanced out pretty well in order to keep them fresh. Yeah, and there's definitely value in that, right? Like, this isn't a situation where if Bishop comes back, you need to drop Hudobin. If you're in a league that's deep enough, there's definitely leagues where Hudobin should be owned regardless of Bishop's health. Let's get into our final segment here tonight. We are looking at a few teams where we've seen some fantasy situations change. We've seen some stocks go up and down over the last few Days And we are going to rank a couple of teams' wingers. Uh, these are players who we're seeing a ton of questions about in our notifications on the Keeping Carlson uh, Facebook page, patron-only Facebook page. People are asking about these guys a lot. And so we thought we'd just bring them out and basically just rank the players who are available in a ton of leagues. I want to start, actually, Lewis, I'm going to jump ahead on our prep sheet to number two, because this is a team that Brian and Elon discussed on the podcast on Sunday. I want to talk about the Colorado Avalanche, who have, as we've mentioned, ad nauseum at this point, an incredible schedule to start the playoffs. And they have a ton of wingers who are fantasy relevant right now just because their lineup is in flux. Without Miko Rantanen and Andre Burakovsky, we've seen a lot of guys who I think in the future will sort down into that bottom six jump up and become much more fantasy interesting. So I want to talk about JT Comfer, Tyson Jost, Vladislav Nemesnikov, Valerie Nashushkin, Yunus Donskoy, and I'm also throwing in Andre Burakovsky for when he comes back, as that does seem to be somewhat imminent. What we've seen, and I know that I am listing a ton of names here, so we're going to go through these lines again real quickly. We're seeing Landeskog and McKinnon play on the top line with Nemesnikov, then a second line of Matt Nieto, Komper, and Donskoy, and a third line of Valerie Nashushkin, Yost, and Kaut. Top power play has Komper, Jost, Landeskog, Mack, and Gerard, with Nemesnikov, Nashushkin, and Donskoy on the second power play. So basically what we're looking at here, we have Burakovsky not in the lineup at all, but he was factoring in on a, in a top six and top power play role before he got hurt, and he could be back soon. We're also talking about Komper and Yost on that top power play, and we're talking about Vladislav Nemesnikov on the top line. I think that those are the four that stand out off top as people who are interesting. Lewis, any thoughts on how, if all of these guys were available, you would be ranking them? All right, so um, I definitely would have put Burakovsky on top, and even potentially uh, still being injured, I kind of like him in that spot if you can... Uh, add him and then stash him and add somebody else in the meantime. Um, you know, he has the most clear path to quality deployment. So I think Burakovsky would, would have the clearest path to taking over that top line, uh, deployment. So maybe bumping Nemesnikov down someplace and then, uh, probably bumping a guy like Comfer off of the first power play. Uh, after him, I mean, in the meantime, while he's out, I do like Nemesnikov in that, top line position. Um, I know that he's not getting that 
top deployment into the power play, but you're going to spend more time, obviously, at even strength. And I think I want that long-term even strength exposure to Landis Cog and McKinnon, who are likely to make something happen. Uh, after that, in order, I like Jost, Comfort, and Donskoy. Um, I know Donskoy isn't back yet, but, um, you know, I think that, you know, he's another player who kind of like Burakovsky at least has spent some time up there before and isn't a new addition to the team. Uh, so I feel like he has a good chance of getting up there. Um, Nishushkin is not especially interesting to me. He was hot for a little while, but it seems like he has cooled right back off and is giving us kind of the Valerie Nishushkin that we are used to right now playing third line, second power play. Not especially interesting for me, even with that lovely stream Agami schedule. Yeah, I think Nishushkin and Donskoy are guys that I'm totally off right now. I actually am mad at you, Lewis, for bringing up the adding Burakovsky, stashing him, and then adding someone else. I've been doing that in a bunch of leagues, and then I gave that advice to several people as well. So kind of stealing my thunder here. I will allow it for today. Uh, behind Burakovsky, though, I would say that my number one spot would go to Tyson Yost. I think he's most likely to stick on the top unit should Burakovsky come back next game, uh, that first power play unit, of course. Then I'm with you with Nemesnikov, Comper number four. I think all four of those guys are ownable in deep leagues at this point, though. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and of course, I want to take a moment to shout out Comper as a former Michigan Wolverine. All right, calm down. Uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll head over to Edmonton, who you alluded to earlier, Lewis. We want to talk about this group of new signees, and we've seen some line juggling already in Edmonton, which is no surprise. But I want to talk about Andreas Athanasiu, Tyler Ennis, Archibald, Cashin, and Kyler Yamamoto. With Yamamoto back suddenly, we have seen a top six of Ennis, McDavid, Archibald, and then RNH and Leon with Yamamoto. All the way on line three, we have Athanasiu and Cassian, two formerly Flavor of the Week guys who are now basically disinteresting completely, right? So... On the top power play, though, we still have none of these guys that we want to talk about. Alex, fourth line, Alex Chiesan is holding on to that net front spot. Lewis, thoughts on ranking those five wingers for us? So Yamamoto, obviously, I think is number one with a bullet. He is now over a point per game in his limited stint in the NHL so far this season uh, after the Oilers went out and just blasted the Nashville Predators 8-3. to um, I like Tyler Ennis after him because Ennis has shown that he is a guy who can drive offense and nice to have someone to help McDavid do that on his wing for a change. I kind of have Archibald and Athanasiu as sort of even for me right now. Um, and, you know, thinking about wanting to, to acquire some scoring, I do think that Athanasiu brings something to the table that these other forwards outside of McDavid uh, don't, especially, which is that blazing speed. Although it does seem like, as he so often likes to do, he has gotten himself in the coach's doghouse pretty quick. Um, so I would have Archibald just a hair ahead of him, obviously, because he's up there uh, with McDavid. But I could definitely see uh, Archie and Athanasiu switching from time to time. So that might be something to keep an eye on. Uh, just kind of a guess on my part, but I could see those two as being kind of interchangeable and you just want the one who is up there with McDavid. And then I have Cassian down at the bottom. Um, you know, he has been uh, found some success from time to time. He was able to, to maneuver that into a nice contract extension but adding all of these folks to throw in on the wings there has seemed to uh, have him on the outside looking in um, he can be valuable of course for you in categories leagues uh, if that is useful for you uh, to have him as a banger um, but he's not someone who interests me especially I know that he went out and scored last game but honestly who did not go out and score last game well 
the only people who were in on every single goal was either McDavid or Dreisaitl. So I'm still not that excited about cashing on that third line. I agree with you on that one. Uh, the one note I would make on this list, Lewis, is I really don't see anything substantial to differentiate between Yamamoto and Ennis. Like, one of them's on a line with McDavid, the other one's with Dreisaitl and Nugent Hopkins, neither of them getting that top power play unit. I know Yamamoto has been a little bit more productive, but like uh, for a longer scale, but that's more so because he was in Edmonton prior to the trade deadline. Um, and Ennis seems to have a little bit more sandpaper to him, a few more hits, and uh, he may give you a, he may give you fewer zeros in that back end stretch than Yamamoto. I don't know if I'm just biased though, because I do own Ennis and I don't have Yamamoto anywhere, but I see them as virtually identical for now, though that could change. And I do think that Yamamoto maybe has has the higher upside offensively. Uh, behind that list, though, I, I've got Archibald, then Athanasiu, as long as Archibald is on top line, and then in a distant fifth, Zach Cashin. Yeah, well, the other thing I would add probably, too, is that Yamamoto is almost certainly not a super helpful piece of advice for for folks out there because he's not going to be available on a lot of waiver wires. But Ennis certainly uh, has some pretty widespread availability, and that's someone that, if you are savvy, you should be snapping that guy up right away because he is not a Tyratty. He is not a... Um, He's not a Zach Cashin. He was able to be productive, you know, relatively speaking, in a pretty awful situation in Ottawa. Um, so to suddenly have the opportunity to play against the best player in the world, I think, is a great opportunity for someone who is kicking around on a lot of waiver wires. Yeah, I mean, a 45-point pace in Ottawa for the first 50 or so games on this season is basically like a 90-point pace on any other team. I, I mean, I wouldn't go that far exactly, <laughs> but certainly I know I know you are uh, be you know engaging in some hyperbole here. But uh, you know it, he has you know his his underlying show a guy who uh, you know is certainly offensively capable, which is not something we've been able to say about some of the folks that they have tried to throw up alongside McDavid in the past. I do appreciate you clarifying for our more pedantic listeners that I, of course, am being hyperbolic. But we will hop to our last ranking of the evening. I want to talk about them bolts. With Steven Stamkos now out for the rest of the regular season, we are seeing a top nine. That is, of course, Palat, Point, and Kucherov on line one. We have got Kalorn, Sorelli, and Coleman on line two in a beautiful shutdown role. And then line three, we have Goudreau, newly acquired from the Sharks, as well as Tyler John. And Yanni Gord. And then on that top power play, we have Tyler Johnson and Anthony Sorelli. So those two become a little bit more interesting. As you mentioned, of course, Mikhail Sergachev on that top power play as well. If he happens to be available in your league, he is must own at this time. Palat, Gord, and Kalorn are also all seeing power play two time. Of those usual waiver wire suspects, Lewis, I know you got Palat off the cupful waivers yesterday or the day before. We also see Sorelli, Kalorn, Coleman, Johnson, and Gord. Any of these names stand out to you? I know that some of them may be on the bottom here, but any of these names stand out to you? So I like Palat uh, first. Obviously, that's the guy who I went out and and sought to acquire. I know he hasn't had a very exciting night, but uh, the game against Boston, nobody on Tampa Bay has really been able to find very much success. Um, I, I'm really glad that you pointed out the the shutdown capability of that second line, especially with Sorelli and Coleman. I do think that those are a pair that are going to be sent out to basically um, 
you know, counter some of the best offensive lines that the other, that the opposition is going to be able to put out there. So I don't know how high their offensive upside is going to be in that situation. Whereas I think Goodrow, Johnson, and Gord might suck up some of those more sheltered minutes. Um, so the way I'm looking at it right now is Palat is number one, just because he's going to get the most amount of time out there with Point and Kucherov. I like Johnson second. Uh, because he's not in that shutdown role and he's getting that power play one time. Give me Sorelli after that since he is also enjoying power play one time. Uh, and then, you know, as far as I'm concerned, Kaloran, Coleman, Gaudreau, Gord, uh, you can throw them all in a bin and, and sort of, uh, Pick whichever one you like, whichever is available that you can acquire the cheapest, because um, they they all seem equally likely to me to be able to go out there and get you a point on a given night. Yeah, it's definitely disappointing to see Coleman be so replaceable at this point. When I when he came over, I definitely didn't think that he would you know reach those highs of the New Jersey days, but definitely already I would say that he's somebody that you can leave on the waiver wire. I'm with you that Palat is in the conversation for number one. Am I too biased to say that Sorelli is there? for me too though given that he plays you know like 20 minutes a night and then still gets that top power play opportunity they lost tonight and Sorelli played only 17 minutes and 20 seconds I think that's really interesting because most nights we're gonna see Tampa Bay win and I think that when they're winning we're gonna see a bit more defensive opportunities for Sorelli the thing about Sorelli is he stretches the ice quite well you see him streaking down on breakaways quite often so I'm not overly concerned about him you know finding offense because he's just been so good at producing in a you know secondary role it's just a question of whether or not he can turn that into you know a 60 point pace as opposed to the 55 that he's on so far this year 60 65 plus that's what we'd be looking at for relatively uh, solid depth production in deeper leagues so I'm hopeful still because he's getting a ton of ice time and top power play is exciting but I'm with you that Andre Palat somebody who we can trust in bangers leagues and has been really solid the past few weeks regardless of where he's been in the lineup I think he's number one for me right after that I've got Sorelli then I've got Tyler Johnson uh Coleman would be number four for me maybe just a bit above Kalorn but Lewis if those guys are available to you out of the three teams I know that you had uh Palat at the top you had Burakovsky at the top and you had Yamamoto at the top who would you want first of that group uh give me Yamamoto and then would it be would it be uh, Palat for you next, or would you would you stick in Edmonton? Would you go per- Burakovsky for that stash? I think I would go Burakovsky just because I think he's going to be able to suck up a little bit more power play time. Uh, then I think you are uh, kind of a, a coin flip maybe between Palat and Ennis. Uh, both kind of guys who can contribute across a couple different categories. So I think that is a little bit appealing um, there. Um, I could see Sorelli or Johnson going next uh, after after Yamamoto, Ennis, and Burkowski. Lewis, that is all the time we have for today. I appreciate you hanging out with me today, and I appreciate all of our listeners. You can find us at AVG Time on Ice on Twitter. Become a patron at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Why don't you watch, sign us out of here, Lewis? All right. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate it. It has been a blast. Like we said, we are enjoying a buy right now in the Cacupful, which is a, a relaxing position to have. But there are a ton of teams that are out there fighting tooth and nail, whether they are in their uh, championship playoffs or they're in the consolation brackets. I don't know how many leagues that are out there that uh, consist of 18 divisions with promotion and relegation rules. If that is something that appeals to you, uh, it really makes every 
game of the season really exciting. Um, and we would love to have you join up with us. We would love to go beyond the 18 divisions that we have already with 14 GMs in each one. Uh, you can join us by signing up at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, we would love to have you. You can join uh, the patron Facebook group and chat with all of the brilliant patrons of the show. Uh, you can enjoy the stat attack uh, that Marcus puts out that is basically a stats-heavy magazine and podcast uh, that comes out for, you know, by, for, and about cupful participants. It's really great stuff. We would love to have you come join. That's keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Uh, and until we see you next time, play smart and keep your shifts short. <laughs>